It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Back. Caleb Williams looking for the first down with time. Dancing around his own end zone. Finally guns it and intercepted. Braylon's got it. the weekend that uh, we all feared was coming and it actually arrived Oklahoma Falls in Waco Texas to the Baylor Bears 27 24 um I don't know I don't know I honestly don't know where we're going to start breaking down this game I do know that there's some other things we're going to talk about uh Oklahoma basketball uh improves to 2-0 in the season with a really impressive win over UTSA and then the top edge rusher from the state of Florida narrows his list down to five five schools Oklahoma makes one of those uh, is is one of those five schools. A great start to this podcast. Uh, Marvin Jones Jr. top uh, twenty twenty two defensive end, and um, so Rich, let's start because um, the the Baylor game is going to take up obviously the ninety percent of this podcast. So let's start with basketball in Oklahoma. Uh, Porter Mosier and company with a ninety six to forty four win over UTSA and I don't know what's more impressive I was actually at this game got to be there see this team live and in person for the first time um I don't know what was more impressive the fact that that Porter Mosier and his guys held UTSA to just 10 points in the first half or that Oklahoma scored 63 points in the second half I just uh 33 to 10 was your halftime score and then Oklahoma's 63 points in the second half to get to a 96 to 44 win even in garbage time these guys were hustling making shots and and let me just say this if you haven't gone you need to go if you haven't gone to see this team you need to go and one of the things you need to do while you're there is you need to pay attention to the bench pay attention to the guys on the bench and how they cheer on and how they participate in the game from the bench. It's actually something that I read an article about that Porter Mosier even worked on these guys. It's been a practice um, working on bench participation. And let me just tell you, Rich, it's, it's a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, it, it always is, man. That was one of the things when we looked at Lon Kruger, I felt that we loved in certain years when the bench was participating and having these different celebrations coordinated or not, it was very entertaining. Um, and when I look at this team, I, I have to kind of piggyback what you're stating here. What we know about this Oklahoma team is they have the, the ability to score and they have the ability to score in bunches. It's because of what we talked about really in their exhibition matchup, which was excellent shot selection. Mm -hmm. It was wide open shots and knocking those down on a consistent basis. And I said, you know what? I don't think Oklahoma is going to shoot like that during the season. Granted, we're only two games into this thing. There's a lot of basketball left to be played, but Oklahoma is proving that they are capable of what they showed in that exhibition and even going above and beyond that as the competition begins to ratchet itself up in terms of quality 
of opponents. So I think there's a lot to be excited about with this basketball team. I think there's a lot to be excited about, about uh, with Porter Moser as the head coach. In fact, Matt, I don't know if you knew this, but Oklahoma picked up a, a commitment from a kid out of Germany. His name is Benjamin Schroeder and is considered one of the best international prospects committing to the college ranks here in the United States. And, you know, he's a kid who, since he was the age of 16, has competed at a very high level playing for the, the German national team, the under 16, now competing on that under 18 and even playing professionally. When he steps onto campus at the University of Oklahoma, he's going to be a well-rounded player. So again, I, I say that to reiterate this one fact is there's a lot to be excited about this year, but I also think that there's, there's excitement to be had for what Porter Mosher's building here in Norman. Yeah, Tanner Groves uh, definitely is worth the price of admission. Um, 23 minutes logged in this game. I, you know, obviously, because it got out of control, he could have done much more damage than he did. 21 points, only five rebounds, but he's a guy that uh, all five of his rebounds were on the defensive end. Um, and he's a guy that that I think is going to be a factor. I mean, I don't again, I, I'm not picking Oklahoma to to run with the big dogs of the Big 12 conference, but I, I definitely don't think that they'll be top three in the in the I mean, bottom three in the Big 12 either. Uh, your boy Mo Gibson continues to be impressive with just his speed. Uh, he scored in double figures with 10. Elijah Harkless, uh, double figures with 10. The guy I'm, I'm suddenly curious about, and I, to my knowledge, a guy we, we've never talked about, but Ardmore native, Eastern Illinois transfer, Marvin Johnson, got to see him for the very first time played nine minutes in the second half and scored 10 points in nine minutes. Uh, just a great athleticism. Got a steal at the end, uh, went coast to coast with the flush. Uh, ended up actually getting a technical foul because of the dunk and hanging on the rim and so forth. But I don't, I don't know how he's going to play into this. But when you, you look at the bench guys, your, your starting five was, again, the same, same from the first game. Tanner Groves, Mo Gibson, Elijah Harkless, Jalen Hill, and Jordan Goldwire. But then uh, Austin Mason, the freshman, 15 minutes, C.J. Nolan, which, by the way, C.J. Nolan is another one you're going to want to get in and see. Um, he was four for four from the from the floor the other night in 15 minutes. Jacob Groves got the most off of the bench with 16 minutes. And then you got a, you got a handful of guys that, that got nine minutes. One of those was Bijan Cortez. He's – I don't think he's going to be in the rotation um, once this, once you really kind of, you mentioned the thick of, of play, a uh, uh, step up in competition, Cortez really kind of came in in garbage, garbage time. But then again, so did Marvin Johnson. I just, I'm, I'm still, I, I think Porter's Mosier is set on the starting five. I love the starting five. I'm curious now how that starting five is going to be rotated out. I did notice that Mosier went to the bench more frequently in this game than he did in the first game against Northwestern state. Oklahoma heads out to Myrtle Beach, um, actually Conway, Arkansas, for the Myrtle Beach Invitational. Thursday evening, they'll play, they'll play East Carolina. Um, and then fr uh, Friday, it'll be either Old Dominion or Indiana State. Um, and then we'll see what happens if they get to play on Sunday or not in that final round, who, who that's going to be. But um, it's, it's going to be a step up. But, Rich, what really surprised me about this game, and we'll, we'll move on from here, but I, I thought that UTSA would be a – a step up in competition from Northwestern state. And maybe I'm not giving Oklahoma enough credit, but they just dominated the Roadrunners from, from the, the get go. And again, 10 first half, this game was, this game was four to four at the first, you know, you know how they do the media timeouts, right? 
So, and at the under four minute timeout, I mean, the first timeout, 16 minutes left in the first half, four minutes in the game, it was four to four. And then Oklahoma <laughs> went on a 29 to six run to close out the first half and just put this game away. So I don't know. I, maybe, maybe UTSA is not as good as I thought they were. Maybe Oklahoma is better than I thought they were. Maybe it's somewhere in the middle. I don't know. It, it's this weird juxtaposition of so much changed in Norman with this basketball program. In fact, a lot of the names that fans became familiar with last year are no longer here. And some of those who were expected to carry a majority of the responsibility opted to transfer. So again, you had a lot of turnover and I do think it's, it, it's leaving some question marks there for people like yourself, for people like me, people who tune into the program on a more consistent basis instead of just for entertainment value. But when we look at what, what Oklahoma's building, Matt, I, I know I said this under Lon Kruger and I feel as though I'm a broken record now with Porter Mosier is this is a team that's playing as if they're capable of pulling off some upsets here in the Big 12. And I think the Big 12 is going to be stacked at the top. And you look at what's happened with Texas, a similar situation to what's happened at Oklahoma. However, the transfers flooded in behind yeah. Coach Beard, who came from Texas Tech. They seem to be a top contender here. Kansas, always known for their prowess on the hardwood. And then, of course, there's Baylor, who's the defending national champions. I'm not saying Oklahoma's at that level, but what I am saying is that I believe that um, um, Oklahoma has the ability to compete with them for the entirety of a game. Like I said, I'm not predicting any upsets here, but I think Oklahoma belongs on the floor with teams of that caliber and will shock some teams here in, in conference play and even leading up to conference play, these classics we're talking about. Well, we got to we got to get to uh, to conference play. Um, you know, we got to get there first. But it's um, you know, it's it's I don't know. We'll just see. We'll see how the non-conference schedule continues to work out. They're only two games in, but definitely it's been a a good product for Oklahoma at this point. On the uh, on the football recruiting front, we just got one nugget of information we got we got to throw out here. Marvin Jones Jr. That's the as we led this podcast with this number eighteen player nationally, number one edge rusher in the country, number three player from the state of Florida. He narrowed his his choices down to to five five universities, five five schools. He's got thirty three total scholarship offers. He's made three visits. Oklahoma, Florida State, and Alabama are the three visits that that he's made. And ironically. Um, those are uh, those are three of the five teams that he's still got in his top five. It's uh, you can add Texas A&M and Georgia to that mix. I don't know that anybody really has an idea when he's going to make his commitment. Keep in mind, we're just a few weeks away from the early signing period opening up for 2022. But this would be huge for the University of Oklahoma. And and again, for those people out there that think Oklahoma kind of takes it in the teeth on on the recruiting trail. 33 schools, 33 schools offered this kid a scholarship and Oklahoma's one of the five remaining. And um, you just kind of hope, uh, look, they're, they're building a good class for 2022. They're building a great class for 2023. It's just one of those situations where he, I don't think he can make or break this class for OU in 2022, but he absolutely would be a, a fantastic addition, right? Yeah. And, and it's not only that, but you're looking at the, the position 
that he plays. And it's one of the, this is my opinion, and I could be completely off base with this. He's playing the defensive end position, no? Yeah, yeah. You have to place a high priority in that Big 12, no? So it makes sense for you to go chase some of the bigger name recruits at that position and really put all of your eggs into not a singular basket, but into the basket of those that are considered in that upper echelon when it comes to pass rushers. And the defensive end position is traditionally a pass rush position. However, these are are guys who athletically are being asked to do quite a bit more. Why? Because of the mobility of the quarterbacks, because of the athleticism that we're seeing in the collegiate ranks from the quarterback position. So there's a lot to consider when you're evaluating a talent like uh, this kid who plays at that defensive end position. So yeah, Matt, I, I think he would be a big get for Oklahoma. Not only would he add depth, but he he's a guy who you look at putting on the field and having him become a contributor, maybe not in the first year, but early on in his contrib- excuse me, in his career, and then being a mainstay, a staple of this defense. And we've seen that time and time again from that specific position. So it wouldn't surprise me that Oklahoma is going for this. It wouldn't surprise me if Oklahoma gets a commitment and it wouldn't surprise me if this is a kid who has an extended and successful career at the university. Well, it's that time. We may not want to talk about it, but we've got to Oklahoma goes down to Baylor in Waco over the weekend. What's what's left for the Sooners? What, uh, where, where do you go from here? Uh, we've got all that to break down and much more. This is the Sooner Nation podcast. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown, and through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Rich, I don't I don't know about you. I, I'm not surprised Oklahoma lost this game. I'm surprised they really were never in this game. That's to me, that's a bigger, if I would, if you would have told me Oklahoma is going to lose in Waco. Yeah, I can see a way that that happens. And I, you know, we talked about a high scoring game. So I'm thinking you can see them losing, (laughs) you know, 38 to 35, 45 to 42, somewhere along those lines. But to see this, this Oklahoma offense stall out to the point that you, you had one, you really had, you had one score when this game mattered that this, that second touchdown in garbage time doesn't really mean a lot to me. This offense just completely disappeared, just completely disappeared. And, and, and you got to give Dave Aranda credit. I, I think you put some blame on Lincoln Riley. We can get into that. Uh, but you absolutely, I feel like you have to give Dave Aranda credit. The dude just owns Lincoln Riley right now through two seasons in the big 12. I, I know Oklahoma beat Baylor in Norman last season, but even at that, it was still an offensive, you know, Oklahoma's offense moved at a snail's crawl compared to what they typically do. And maybe we should have seen this coming. I don't know, but definitely you got to start by, by crediting Dave Aranda for just a, a superb game plan over Lincoln Riley. Yeah. And I really think that Dave Aranda played into the strengths of his defense, Matt, one of the things that we talked about in this preview was the safeties that Baylor has on their roster in that starting role. And knowing that when you've got a freshman quarterback 
you can mix some things up with the experience, with the talent at that safety position to try to confuse the quarterback. I felt as though they did that. But again, we also know Baylor was going to bring a physical brand of football. And I said that this would be the most physical team that Oklahoma had played since Nebraska. Mm -hmm. I think we saw that up front in the trenches from this defensive line because yes, I, I get it for quite some time there. Pass protection was good. It felt as though Caleb Williams had all day to throw, but the confusion on the back end had him making some errant throws. And certainly Oklahoma wasn't throwing the ball very far down the field. It was as if the offense reverted back. And I hate to say it this way, but the first four and a half games of the season with Spencer Rattler mm. behind center. Yeah, you, let's start there, okay? Because I, I honestly didn't know where to start with uh, with Oklahoma's offensive breakdown. And let's, so let's start with, with Caleb Williams. It was evident from the opening drive that Caleb Williams was going to struggle. Was a freshman? Game. Yeah, I mean, it's and honestly, Rich, we've seen him make freshman mistakes. Go back to the interception against Kansas, okay? We, we've, seen, we've seen him make <laughs> freshman mistakes. But this is the first time that he's looked like a freshman for the entire time he was on the field. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and it goes up to the opening drive. I think it was the second play. And it was, I, I, my opinion, it was a RPO, a run pass option. And he kept the ball to throw it. He didn't see a receiver immediately. Uh, I think it was like a hot route or something. That, that wasn't there. So then he was like going to run. And then he was like, maybe I shouldn't run. And then he goes back to try to throw and you just, okay, at this point, he's indecisive. And, and then we never saw him consistently move above that level of play right there. And when you turn over, I mean, you, you turn over to a fresh, a true freshman, as talented as he is, as special as he's going to be, you're going to go through some of those growing pains. You're going to hit some of those mistakes. It just finally caught up with him. This is the first time yeah. we, we've seen Oklahoma have these, you mentioned it. We've seen Oklahoma have these lethargic offensive starts. We've seen it. We've seen it multiple times this season. But this is the first time where the opponent was able to take advantage of that and really not just put Oklahoma up on the ropes because you can look back. West Virginia had Oklahoma on the ropes. And, you know, Nebraska, Tulane. The, you, you, there was times where Oklahoma was struggling. But Baylor didn't just put Oklahoma on, on the ropes. Baylor just knocked them slap out. They They put Oklahoma on the canvas. And they really did that by, by taking away the running attack, which is something you mentioned that you were worried about uh, going into this game. They, they took away Oklahoma's running attack. They limited what Oklahoma's offensive line was able to do. And, and if we're going to avoid talking in a giant circle here, but you really you <laughs> want to break down offensive struggles, I think you start right there. This, this offensive line... To me, Rich, the biggest disappointment of the season for Oklahoma goes with this offensive line. But with that said, I I can't for the life of me, Rich. I just I can't think why Oklahoma knowing knowing that that the offensive line was a struggle. That's the reason why Lincoln Riley went to Caleb Williams because he can do more with his legs than what Spencer Rattler could do. Why was Caleb Williams not involved more in the running game a week after Chandler Morris put almost 500 yards on this Baylor defense? Right. I, that, you know, to it, me, that's I can't figure it out. I, I'm not going to be able to come up with an answer for you either, but I do know 
Matt, you, you called it because we were talking about Caleb Williams, the mobility and potentially being the leading rusher on the team yep. in this game. That was not the case. That wasn't even part of the game plan from what we saw. Now, if it was, it was not evident to anybody who was watching. And at the end of the day, I think it was a big hindrance mm -hmm. to this offense. One of the things when Caleb Williams stepped onto the field against Texas and rattled off that long run, the, the one thing I said, and you and I disagreed about this, was that the running game opened up because all of a sudden people were having to account for yeah. the mobility at the quarterback position that Spencer Rattler just didn't display. Needless to say, I, I don't know if that was the case in this game. But I, I do know that when you have, even if he is a freshman, even if he lacks the experience, you have to look at the talent. And you, Lincoln Riley is known for catering the offense to his quarterbacks. And it felt like that was a far cry from his MO in this game. Why do you not do that? Why do you not involve the legs of the quarterback, especially when the comparisons to the leadership and the athleticism, leadership of Baker Mayfield, athleticism of Kyler Murray, and the body of Jalen Hurts. Why, when you see those three guys run, why you don't run in a game like this? And I hadn't even considered the Chandler Morris equation, but why you don't run in a game like this is beyond me. And Lincoln and, Riley will take the criticism for that. And, and and I'm okay with criticizing Lincoln Riley. Now I'm not I'm not even anywhere close to jumping on some of these guys that are saying it's time to fire Lincoln Riley. It's time to move oh, on yeah. from Lincoln Riley. I I can I can maybe see the argument that Lincoln Riley needs an offensive coordinator. Maybe um, I don't think I'm ready to go there yet because I think part of the recruitment of these quarterbacks is the fact that Lincoln Rod is going to be calling the plays with these guys. He gets to know them. He gets to know their strengths, all those things that you said. And so that's part of recruiting these guys. I am going to say, you know, Caleb Williams carried the ball 10 times. I feel like it should have been at least twice as many. And, and what I don't know, really what I'm, what I'm curious to know, and I have to go back and watch, and I'd really like to break that down. How many of those were designed runs of those 10 carries? Right. How many were designed and how many were him getting flushed and just tucking and going? Because there's a difference. And I feel like much like what Baylor did against Oklahoma with Gary Bohannon, particularly in that second half, the, the Oklahoma has the ability to do that with Caleb Williams, but Lincoln Roddy is so committed like it's like what he did against texas tech like you can't stop our passing game so we're not even going to try to run well guess what baylor was stopping the passing game because either caleb williams wasn't seeing the underneath or he was ignoring the underneath i don't know what happened but you got to change it lincoln riley had to change it up and i felt like i felt like it was a mono imano <laughs> excuse me, a battle of wills between him and Dave Aranda <laughs> and, and Dave Aranda won. Dave Aranda absolutely won for the, and, the third year in a row. And well, I mean, Dave, <laughs> it's only the second time he's played Dave Aranda, but yeah, but you got to remember Dave Aranda was on that LSU, oh, the team, LSU well. team. Yeah. For, yeah. That's a good point. And, but Dave Aranda, he's, he's in Lincoln Riley's head. He is. And, and you, you, you can, you can pinpoint things. You can pinpoint bad decisions by the quarterback. Um, you can uh, you can pinpoint bad offensive line play. You can pinpoint drop passes. I mean, Marvin Mims dropped two passes that typically you would bank on him catching. Drake Stoops drops a pass that typically you would bank on him catching. So you can attribute all that into this mix. 
but really you gotta say Lincoln Riley, I don't want to use the word choked. I feel like that's kind of harsh, but Lincoln Riley definitely outcoached. And I think he froze up a little bit. I think, I think Lincoln Riley just kind of saw this matchup with Dave Aranda. I think he took it personal and the game plan didn't work and Lincoln Riley didn't adjust. And, and that's to me, Rich, that's the, one of the bigger surprises here because all season long, Oklahoma has has made pretty decent adjustments throughout the game. You 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 look at the Texas game, the West Virginia game. You look at these games where OU struggled in the first half. They found something in the second half based off of adjustments. There were no adjustments. Mm-hmm. There you just come back and you do the same thing over again, and it's still not working. I just it, this is. I'm still full team Lincoln Riley. Don't don't get me wrong. He's done way more good for this program than losing a game at Baylor to cause me to drive the, the truck off the cliff. I'm not doing that. But I will say, to me, probably the most disappointing Lincoln-Riley coaching moment since the second half of the Rose Bowl against Georgia. That's where I am with this. And, and I do think that's a fair assessment. Man, I had to think back to that one just for a split second i i don't know i, I it, that's a difficult call to say which one in terms if we're ranking from worst to first which one of those games actually falls at the bottom i do see what you're saying and i'll come to terms and in an agreement with that and saying that there was no adjustments but half of me also wants to say this is that did we see some adjustment, but Baylor was so quick to move pieces on this chessboard that Oklahoma was responding and then forced to respond in a different way. And time after time, snap after snap, quarter after quarter, Oklahoma was reacting instead of being proactive in this game. And when you're reacting, when you're constantly on your heels, things are not going to go your way. And I don't think Lincoln Riley's used to that because what we right. saw in this game, Matt, for me was, man, we touted Lincoln Riley as a guy who, if you don't think you have a weakness, Lincoln Riley will find it. That's mm-hmm. how he's made his money. That's how he's gotten to the place that he's at, which is as the head coach at the university of Oklahoma Baylor. I, I thought there may be some weaknesses there after they played TCU and lost that. They shored those things up, and Lincoln Riley was never see, really. That's that's sorry, but I don't think they did. I we don't know. No, I, I get what you're Lincoln saying. Riley, I get what you're saying. Lincoln Riley chose not to attack in that way. He had mm-hmm. tunnel vision. I'm I'm going to come in. I'm going to pass the ball on you. I'm going to I'm going to use my quarterback, and and we're going to do it this way. And there was no other way. The only adjustment that that Lincoln Riley made, in my opinion, I haven't watched it a second time around. But the only adjustment he made, in my opinion, is he gave Spencer Rattler two series. And it's like, okay, I'm going to pass the ball. I'm going to throw the ball. And okay, well, you're, you're crashing in on me. So I'm going to take my non-athletic quarterback and I'm going to put him on the field and I'm going to throw the ball. It doesn't make sense. I mean, look at the sacks on, on, on Spencer Rattler. 
Those are not violent hits. Those are not no, they're arm tackles. Yes. And he's just going down like someone sneezed on him. Spencer Rattler was absolutely a non-factor. And I, I was okay with this move when I thought it was predicated on the idea that, that Caleb Williams was hurt, that his, that there was an issue with his hand. So you put Spencer Rattler in there. That wasn't why Spencer Rattler came in the game. And Lincoln Riley even admitted it afterwards. He was looking for a spark. You can't do this. How many times have we come on this podcast? Have we been on other things? How many times have we said, if you're playing two quarterbacks, that means you don't have, you're not settled with one good one. All right. When, when he went with Caleb Williams in the Cotton Bowl against Texas, you can't go back. You can't go back. And that was the moment, Rich. I'm, I'm just going to, I'll turn it back over to you. But that was the moment when, when Spencer Rattler came in and granted it was a terrible no call on the pass interference, terrible no call by the Big 12 on, on the Mike Woods, on the Mike Woods pass that I mean just whatever. But still, when that stalled out, I was like, this it's over. There's nothing that was that was what Lincoln Riley had to go to. That was his plan B. You got you've got Kennedy Let's, Brooks sitting there. You you've got I just I just Lincoln Riley failed this team. And I know I'm being harsh. But it's the reality of it. And I'm I'm not, again, I'm not jumping on board with fire Lincoln <laughs> Riley. I'm not saying Lincoln Riley can't be an offensive coordinator. But moving forward, I believe there has to be some philosophical changes with the way this offense, this offense moves. There has to be, Rich. Sorry. I, I I'm just envisioning you right now as as Green Arrow standing over Lincoln Riley saying these things. To him, but at the end of the day, Matt, I have to ask this question. It, it's really, I have two questions for you. But when Lincoln Riley pulls Caleb Williams, I, I was with you. I thought Spencer Rattler was going to play one series. I thought it may have been a situation that we saw last year against Texas, not this year, where Spencer Rattler was completely replaced, but Spencer Rattler would have come in in place of Caleb Williams, gotten his head on straight, and then came back in to the game and orchestrated this come from behind wind for Oklahoma. That, that wasn't what happened at all. It wasn't the one series. It was the two series. And when you see Spencer Rattler out there for the second offensive series, I believe, and this is my question for you, was that the point where Lincoln uh, Riley waved the white flag? It's a lot of W's and R's. I'm going to get tongue twisted here. I think that you you remember in that game against Texas when Spencer Rattler was benched, Tanner Mordecai came in and the offense still moved. Yes. And I think that's what Lincoln Riley was trying to duplicate that moment. He was trying to get Caleb Williams to get his head on straight trying to do, but it didn't work. And it, you can't keep going back and recreating a moment that worked fantastically for Lincoln Riley in 2020 against Texas. And it won the game, but it wasn't, is, is that what he's going to do from this point forward? Malachi Nelson is going to come in and he's going to have a bad game. And so what are you, what are you going to do? Put him on the bench for two series and let the, you can't keep doing that either. Either Caleb Williams is your quarterback or he's not. And I just, that's, all I'm going to say is be better. <laughs> Lincoln Riley, be better. Be it's If the game plan's not working, how about instead of switching the personnel to a lesser quarterback, how about you change the game plan, Lincoln? How about, how about you? And, and maybe, maybe Caleb Williams wasn't doing their RPOs correctly. 
I don't know, but change something other than the personnel. I don't think there's a person. Okay. I don't think there's a more than a handful of people amongst the Sooner Nation who feel more confident in Kayla and Spencer Rattler than Caleb Williams. I think if you if you tell people across the board, you got to have a drive, who do you want to be your quarterback? I think 90% of people are going to take Caleb Williams. But Lincoln Riley is so married to this Spencer Rattler situation that I just it, it just blows my mind. I, I don't think it would have made a difference, honestly. I, Oklahoma's losing this game. They, they just, they, not based on the personnel, Oklahoma's losing this game based on Lincoln Riley's, I don't even, I'm not even going to say it's not an inability because he does have the ability. He's got guys that can run. They are losing this game based on the lack of willingness of Lincoln Riley to change a game plan that wasn't working. He had to be right. This is the way he was going to do it and he wasn't changing it. And the result is 27 to 14. You're on the losing end. <laughs> yeah. The second part of that question Matt, that I really wanted to ask, because you're talking about if you're playing two quarterbacks, then you don't really have one. And that being the situation that we saw play out this past weekend there in Waco, I saw after the game, as all the headlines were starting to be published, the one consistent thing was, quote-unquote quarterback controversy. Now, I, I'm not buying in to that kind of an argument. In fact, I buy more into the ideology that Spencer Rattler has done, and he's done some things that back up that statement. Ergo, you don't have a controversy because next year you will only have one of these quarterbacks. So I'm just going to ask you, are, are you buying into it, or is this something that's more clickbait from mm -hmm. these media outlets who are looking just to get headlines from those who didn't watch the game? Yeah, yeah, there's no quarterback controversy. And you know that because Kenneth Williams came back in the game. Um, it, it, I heard one guy say it like this, and it's, it's, it sounds brutal, but it's, it's accurate, is that Lincoln Riley – benched Caleb Williams so that he could bench Spencer Rattler, you know, and that's what he did. He benched Caleb Williams and then he benched Spencer Rattler for Caleb Williams again. And so technically Spencer Rattler has been benched twice this season for Caleb Williams. There, there's no quarterback controversy. And I'm going to take this a step further. We're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves, I, but I'm going to say this. I don't believe this is bold prediction from, from Matt. I don't think Spencer Rattler is a part of this team when they go to their bowl game. That's there. There's no, there's no controversy. And unless Caleb Williams is injured and can't play the last three games of the season, Spencer Rattler's not on this team, wherever they end up in a bowl game. I, I don't know that it's that large of a, or that bold. You're saying my bold prediction is not that bold. I, I feel as though it's, it's more likely than it is less likely Gotcha. At this point, Matt, and like I said, I'm I'm reading a little bit between the lines because you know previously this season, Spencer Rattler, and for whatever social media means to you and how much weight and stock you can actually put into some of the comments and changes that are made, Spencer Rattler made a change to his his bio on social media. It was a media storm as people started following or pushing out that information, mm -hmm. to which. Spencer Rattler went back and changed it back, but it told me all that I needed to know in that moment of where his head was at and what he was thinking about doing. The writing is on the wall for a guy like Rattler, and still I wish him nothing 
but the best. But at the end of the day, Oklahoma is moving forward with one, well, two scholarship quarterbacks on this roster for, for spring camp. So let me ask you this. Is there a, uh, is there an offensive MVP from this game? Is there somebody you can say, yeah, that's the guy who had the game, the, the, the game that we're going to call out. Um, you got anybody you want to nominate, Rich? I, I don't. I think this is the one where you, you, you don't have anyone who really stood out. I mean, when your receivers are are getting bested by an H back, it tells you all that you need to know about the receiving game. When your quarterback throws two interceptions and has zero passing, when you look at running the ball being very ineffective, there wasn't anyone who stood out in a positive way mm-hmm. for this game for me. So yeah, that, that one I'm going to pass on. I am going to jump on here and agree with you that I don't think we're going to say, yeah, this was an M- MVP type performance, but you know, Kennedy Brooks, 14 carries 60 yards, just under four yards of carry 3.9. I just, if he should have 28 carries, you know, it, I, I just, Kennedy Brooks was decent and Mike Woods for, for whatever, for what it's worth, four receptions, 53 yards. Again, the big play where he was clearly interfered with You're not, right. Not a not a, a play that cost Oklahoma the game, but certainly didn't do Oklahoma any favors as far as officiating goes. Um, those are two guys I would kind of point out, but you're, you're right. There's there's nothing here uh, that's MVP worthy with this offense. True or false coming up, and uh, <clears throat> once again, I'm in the position to ask Rich the questions, and yep, they all have to do with oh, Oklahoma, great. and um, and it's well, it's gonna be fun. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Okay, so true or false portion of the podcast. This is how it works. I got five statements. And Rich, you're going to tell me whether they're true or they're false. And then you're going to tell me why they're true. They're they're all true. They're all true. Okay, so (laughs) (laughs) there we go. That's easy. All right, here we go. We're going to go through this. I don't think there's anything on here that's that's just really going to make your brain melt as you're trying to figure out how to answer it. But they are all pertinent to Oklahoma's trip to Waco. So we'll jump in here for the very first one. Rich, uh, true or false, uh, Saturday's loss to Baylor in Waco has eliminated Oklahoma true. from the college football playoff. I told you they're all, they're all going to be true. Man, I, I think the perception – of the Big 12, the perception of Oklahoma seems to have been accurate. And knowing that Oklahoma needed to run through what we were calling the gauntlet of November, championship November, no losses in November in quite some time for this, for this Oklahoma Sooners program, 2014. 
As By the way, ironically, the last team to beat Oklahoma in the month of November the was Baylor Robert Bears. Griffin the and Baylor the Baylor Bears. Bears in <laughs> so 20... anyway, go ahead. When that was in 2014, was no, it? No, it was. I don't think it was Robert Griffin. Um, here, I, I, you keep I know, talking, and I'll I know look that exactly. Up for you. I know exactly who that was because that was, was the Dink and Dunk year. Yeah, it was the Mike. Stoops nothing. Dink, yeah, nothing beyond ten yards because of the cushion. I know exactly what you're talking about, but. Um, with this yeah, team, 2014 Madden. Baylor, uh, the, the 2014 game, uh, was against Baylor was last time. Even that was in Norman, the Dink and Dunk, uh, year. Um, and Oklahoma had beaten 23 consecutive November opponents since that game. 11 of those 23 were nationally ranked teams, but I digress. True or false are out of the college football playoff. Yeah. And like I said, you, you have to look at the, the perception here. Oklahoma wasn't being very highly rated because, they didn't have any resume building wins. Right. They got that opportunity to put a staple win on the season and then continue moving forward with potentially an Iowa State win and an Oklahoma State win to end mm-hmm. the regular season. You make the appearance in the Big 12 championship game. It would be three ranked opponents that Oklahoma ended the season gaining wins over. But when you fall flat on your face, I think instead of giving you an opportunity to climb through the rankings, instead it's going to hold you steady as that being the pinnacle of your gear, that number eight ranking in the college football playoff in their eyes, that committee, I don't think Oklahoma will get above that number eight, even with one loss throughout the remainder of the season. Now it's possible. Don't Mm -hmm. get me wrong. It's possible, but it's something where I feel as though the ship has sailed when we talk about a top four ranking in Oklahoma and it is because of a singular loss. Yeah, unless the college football world just burns uh, over the next two and a half weeks, I don't think I don't I don't see even if Oklahoma beats Iowa State, beats Oklahoma State, turns around and beats Oklahoma State again, I don't see Oklahoma making top four. I can see them getting to six, maybe five. Five is probably a stretch, but I don't I don't think they're getting top four. So I agree. Yeah, well, Georgia's going to win the national championship anyway. This is well, that's probably true as well. Um, so here we go. Uh, number two, true or false, Rich Baylor's last second field goal against Oklahoma State, Oklahoma. Uh, I started to say Oklahoma City because I've got the thunder on. I'm gonna start this all the way over. True or false, Baylor's last second field goal against Oklahoma on Saturday was bad form. Absolutely, it was bad form. Here's I, I do say that this is true because it wasn't a necessity. It wasn't that you're going out there and getting a guy an extra rep. It was chaos to end the game. The one second being rolled back to three seconds. I said where I was sitting watching this game that if I were in Lincoln Riley's shoes, as big of a fit as he threw, I would go grab 11 walk-ons and say, I want you out on the field. Because I would have had no respect for a move Mm -hmm. pulled like that from Dave Aranda. Yes, Matt, frustrations we're running high. Yes, it was a loss, which only elevated that level of frustration. But at the end of the day, I see Baylor had the opportunity to kick a field goal. It was good. Oklahoma commits a defensive penalty, gives them the first down. So it's not like he needed an additional rep. He already got one in a live right. situation. So yeah, I think it's bad form. I, I think when you look at that call, um, a lot of people could find a lot of issue with it, but there's the complete other side of the equation where there's a, more than a handful of people who want to laugh 
at the response and the reaction of Oklahoma and Oklahoma fans in this Oklahoma team, and they got exactly what they wanted, so they're here for it. Well, Arenda said after the game that he was looking at tiebreaker scenarios for, for the Big 12, and, and one of the tiebreaker scenarios is point differential. And so he wanted that three points to kind of go towards that tiebreaker scenario. From that, from that perspective, I, I can get on board and I can see it happen and I, I, can, I can understand it. I had a bigger issue with, really, honestly, I had a bigger issue with the, the students and the fans storming the field during regulation and then clearing the field and not giving a unsportsmanlike conduct penalty to Baylor. I think that's right. where if you're going to if you're going to get frustrated at this at this situation, get frustrated from the standpoint that Baylor should have been flagged in every arena, every stadium in America. That's a penalty. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what you got to look at more. Why is why is this being neglected? That that field goal means nothing to me. I mean, obviously, it means more to Dave Aranda than it does anybody else. And by the way, if you're Lincoln Riley, if you're the Oklahoma defense and, and you feel disrespected, get better. I mean, I'll go back to Billy Tubbs. You don't like us beating <laughs> you by 50? Get better, okay? That that performance that Lincoln Riley threw out there on the field in Waco, it deserved to have a field goal with one second left just to kind of rub it in. But the student situation on the field the big 12 has to address that. They just have to. And so that's, that's where I had the biggest issue with it. I I can understand tiebreaker scenarios where you're behind Oklahoma state. And the reality is Iowa state losing later on probably did just made that, that thing null and void because it looks like still a good chance is going to come down to Oklahoma state and Baylor and that tiebreaker scenario. And if that's the case, then Oklahoma, then Oklahoma State beats Baylor in that because Oklahoma State beat Baylor on the field. Um, okay, so let's move on. Number three, Rich, the loss in Waco on Saturday. True or false? We all should have seen this coming. I told you all the answers were going to be true, but I am <laughs> going to go with with false on this one. And it's because of the previous week. Right. Baylor goes out and lays a total egg on the field. Whereas I said that would only make them more focused for this Oklahoma game. It was that wake-up call. Yes, we got caught looking forward. And while I absolutely believe that's true, you have to look at what TCU was doing. And they had a nothing – there was nothing for TCU to lose in that game. Mm -hmm. So they were going to roll out, for lack of a better way of putting this, roll out the red carpet and march any play that they designed – and desired to put on the field, that red carpet was rolled out for it. It was a welcomed addition just to see what's on the roster and what's capable or what these players are capable of in the transition from Gary Patterson to a new head coach down in Fort Worth. Needless to say, Matt, I felt as though Oklahoma was better. I felt as though Oklahoma was a little more well-rounded. I felt as though Oklahoma had played in enough close games that it wouldn't really rattle them if that one came down to the wire, whereas Baylor hasn't had that type of a challenge. Baylor, sure, knows the sting of defeat, but they hadn't really played in these extremely close games outside of the TCU game that, well, they lost that one. So I was going to say they haven't played in these extremely close games that they've won. So I thought there were a lot of factors that would have played out in this contest that went into Oklahoma's favor just wasn't the way that it went down. And I felt as though a majority of Oklahoma fans would have been on my side of the fence instead of saying, yeah, Baylor's a capable team who's 
easily going to to just roll Oklahoma over and do anything they want to this defense. That wasn't what I thought, especially with the return of the players that we had mentioned. DJ Graham stepping back, mm-hmm. back out there. The Laren Turner yell. Jalen Redman. Not only that, but Woody Washington was back out there against Baylor. So it, it was almost as if Oklahoma was returning to full strength. I know we're not talking about the defense just yet, but I got to say this. Looking at an Oklahoma defense that was full strength, I wasn't entirely disappointed with their performance, but I felt as though there were moments where that defense collapsed Mm -hmm. and I'll leave it at that for now. So to answer your question, Matt, it it is a false for me, but I could flip a coin uh, with the person next to me and then, then come up with a completely different answer. So I think sooner nation would be 50, 50 on that one. I think if you, if, if, if there wasn't a bye week I think you can make the argument that we, we could have seen this coming. If, if, if they went from straight from Texas tech to Baylor, you could say, yeah, we should have seen this coming, but coming off of a bye week the way they played against Texas tech and again, Baylor's loss at TCU. Yeah. This was uh, totally uh, to me out of, out of left field. All right. So let's move on to, to number four. And I'm, I'm really curious about this. It was a bold prediction for me, Rich, and it didn't, uh, my bold predictions were completely bust uh, this week as, as far as this game goes, but um, well, me I, too. I'm just curious your thoughts here. Uh, number four, true or false, Marcus Major would have made a difference in this game. Man, that one's going to be a false for me. Uh, okay. And we've talked about the offensive line struggles all season long. I thought that those were starting to be overcome. I thought that the talent was fully on display when we looked at the performances that Kennedy Brooks was having. Needless to say, Matt, this was just an offense that I don't think it mattered who the personnel was that was on Mm -hmm. the field. They weren't going to get things rolling as long as this was the offensive line that was installed as the centerpiece, as the piece that was supposed to get the push in the trenches, as the piece that was supposed to overwhelm some of these defensive lines. As long as that was the key contributing factor I just don't know. And, and granted, some of this goes into design. Some of this goes into game planning as well. I just don't know that Oklahoma, regardless of who was in the backfield, and you could pick anyone in the country, I don't think they would have been able, able to overcome the struggles that we were seeing on the field. Why I agree with you, I just can't help but think, if you're going to give Spencer Rattler a shot, why not, instead of Eric Gray, go with Marcus Major? Why not go with a a bigger, more physical running back. I mean, what, what do you have to lose? If you're putting Spencer Rattler out there, what do you have to lose by putting Marcus Major out there? That's all I'm saying. You, right. You're, you're most likely a hundred percent correct. But if you're going to give Spencer Rattler a shot, why not? Well, I mean, you have nothing to lose. Might as well literally. throw the kitchen sink, huh? Yeah. All right. So here we go. Last one, last but not least, uh, true or false rich. The playoff committee was right about Oklahoma. Yeah, that one's true. And that one stings to admit, because I was very adamant that Oklahoma was being undervalued, that the lack, even though there was the lack of strength of schedule, that the nine and oh, that zero in the loss column was something that was being undervalued and underestimated by this college football playoff committee. But they were spot on in saying Oklahoma deserves to be at number eight, even though they are undefeated and using some of the metrics to back up their statements. I do have to fully agree with their assessment. 
but hindsight's always 2020. And so I, I guess I need to give a little bit of a hat tip to that college football playoff committee and doing their own assessment instead of listening to all these outside voices. Yeah. Yep. All right. That's it for the, uh, uh, for the true or false portion. We got to talk a little bit about Oklahoma's defensive effort against Baylor. I don't think it was as bad as maybe what the final box score uh, realized or produced. Um, and then we'll give you our big 12 uh, thoughts on the big 12 weekend. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Oklahoma's defense, Rich, they, they gave up, you know, clearly they gave up 27 points to, to Baylor. But this is a simple formula for me. It's a simple recipe. And, and it comes down to the inability to stop the run, particularly in the second half. O- Oklahoma, if they're the first three quarters of this game, Oklahoma's defense held Baylor to, to 10 points. And that when 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 you're not getting any support from the other the guys on the other side of the ball, it it wear it not only is it a physical wear on you to continually get pounded on by Abram Smith and 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 so forth with those Baylor running backs, but it's also a mental strain on you when you know that even if you get the ball back, the offense isn't going to do anything with it. So. I'm not making, I'm not using that as an excuse. I'm using that as an understanding that through three quarters of football, through 45 minutes of football, the defense gave the type of effort and performance that would put this team in a position to win. It got no support from the offense. But we talked earlier about, I, I said Lincoln Riley's inability or not his, his lack of desire to make a change with the philosophy and the game plan of the offense, what Baylor did with the running game, particularly with Gary Bohannon in the second half, that that's what changed this game. And they took advantage of Oklahoma over pursuing the containment just wasn't there the way it needed to be there on those edges. And Bohannon nine carries nine carries rich for 112 yards. He averaged 11.9 yards per carry that goes atop of, Abram Smith with 155 yards and Tristan Ebner with oh so quiet 58 yards where, where Baylor beat this team, where they beat Oklahoma really beat them into submission was on the ground, 297 total rushing yards on 47 attempts, averaging 6.3 yards per carry. They made adjustments. Oklahoma didn't. And really it goes down to it's, it's that simple of a breakdown. For me, Oklahoma's defense was good through 45 minutes. They got no support from the offense. Baylor made those adjustments, and they took complete advantage, particularly with the quarterback run game, of over-pursuing. And kudos to Baylor for saving that, really, for the second half, just to throw a different twist out there. But that's where this game was lost, in my opinion, was on Baylor making that adjustment and OU not. It's always easier to play complementary football, and that's no secret. It's a lot harder to do that 
in practice, even though it's what you strive for. And the, the goal of this game, Oklahoma did not hit that level mm-hmm. of complimentary football. And you're absolutely right. I think it was a little bit demoralizing when Baylor was finally able to rattle off some of these bigger runs through the utilization of Abram Smith. Matt, we talked about this game and it would really hinge upon one singular idea. And that was, was forcing Bohannon to throw, forcing him to right. beat you with his arm. Oklahoma just wasn't capable of doing that. And it's in the it's, second half. They, they did it. Yeah. They did it very well through the first 30, even 40 minutes of this game, but that all that changed in the second half. Right. Right. It should be prefaced with that. Absolutely. But I'm looking at the totals here. And Baylor has 117 passing yards. Mm-hmm. I mean, I would consider that a success. Yeah. The problem is you have to look at the, the rushing yard number and all of a sudden you see exactly what went wrong and why those passing yards were, were limited to that 117 total for Baylor. And it's because they didn't feel the need to throw the ball consistently. Mm-hmm. They were daring in the second half, they were daring Oklahoma to stop the run. And when Oklahoma couldn't, it became very apparent that we're fine gaining six yards per carry and moving down the field and completely exhausting and wearing out this defense. So again, credit Baylor for, for what they were doing, credit them offensively for that game plan and credit them for, for not backing down from a challenge, because that was a challenge that I thought was pretty stiff heading into this contact contest is Dave Aranda, a guy Matt, that, that may not necessarily take this crown, if you will, from Lincoln Riley, but says, you don't think you have a weakness? Well, guess what? We we know exactly where that chink in the armor is, and we're going to attack it with everything we have. I don't think Dave Arena is going to be in this conference long enough to take the crown away from I don't either. Riley. But that said, I've got I've got less criticism for Alex Grinch than I do for uh, Hey, can, for can I Riley. pause you? Sure. Because because I'm curious. Dave Arena is no stranger to LSU. There's an opening right. at LSU. Right. You're saying you don't you don't think he's going to be in the Big 12 long enough to claim that kind of a crown from a Lincoln Riley. Is this your prediction saying that he's headed to LSU very shortly? I think he's very much on the short list for, for Baton Rouge. Yes. Okay. That's all I needed to know. We don't need an explanation. <laughs> We're good. Um, <laughs> but like I said, I, I, I think... I, I have less criticism for Alex Grinch than I do Lincoln Riley in this performance. I, this, this loss isn't on the defense, in my opinion. Right. This loss sets squarely on the shoulders of the offense. And, and you can even go back. There, there's, there's, missed, there's, there's times where X's and O's, the guys are in the right spot. They don't make the tackle. There's a, a huge third down play where they, they make contact four yards behind the line of scrimmage. And Baylor ends up getting like a almost a 10 yard gain off of the play because they made contact and they just didn't, they got pushed. They got, they couldn't bring the runner down. DTL whiffed on early in the game on a, on a tackle that should have gone for a loss. It ended up being a, a plus 10 yard play. There's, there are plays, there are times where they were in position, but they didn't execute. And you can't put that on Alex Grinch. I know people want to put that on Alex Grinch, but the reality is you can't. You just can't do that. So I, I've got I've got very few criticisms of Alex Grinch, particularly in terms of of what happened with with Lincoln Riley on the offensive side of the ball. It just came down to me again. It came down to X's and O's, 
And then it came down to not for the defense, not adjusting to over pursuing. And, and I'm, I'm, do you think Alex Grinch was telling the guys on the sideline? Yeah. Keep over pursuing. That's working well for us. I, I really want you guys <laughs> right. to, to lose containment and just crash in because that's going great. I, I doubt it. He coached it that way, but whatever this comes down, all of this, the whole thing, it all comes down to focus, a lack of focus. And, and that's what has plagued this team. And, and you see it across the board. We, I talked about Alex. Uh, I talked about Lincoln Riley talked about, um, Caleb Williams. We we could we talked about Marvin Mims dropping passes that he are n- normally is a lock to catch. You could talk about Gabe Burkich. When's the last time you can remember Gabe Burkich missing two field goals? Just this team, the Achilles heel with this team is they don't they can't focus. They they, they just can't focus. And and yeah, the playoff committee was right. And it's time for us to buy into the idea what we were sold in August. And what we have right now, not the same thing. This team is not as good as they were billed up to be back in August. And, and that's just the reality of this situation. It doesn't mean to me that, that everything's over and the world crashes down. It just means they're not as good. And I, I could even go so far as to tell you, I think I would put Brian Osamoa as a defensive MVP. I, I feel like the defense was good enough. 14 tackles total in the day, two tackles for loss. He forced a fumble. So when I, when I look at the offensive side of the ball and we're like, there's no clear MVP. I think there is for the defense, but I'm telling you that to say this, what we were sold was on this offense. I think the defense has improved from last year to this year, the offense, it is what it is a huge step backwards. And a lot of it is just focus. Whether you want to say it's the, it's the name, image, and likeness, whether you want to say it's the press clippings, whatever it is, this team cannot focus to reach its potential. And I think we're, you know, we're two games left in the regular season. It's probably time to say they're not going to reach their true potential. That's a hard pill to swallow. It is. Very but how can it not hard be hard pill to swallow, t- especially as a player. Right, but tell me how it's not reality. Tell me how after this I, point, not. after after 10 games, you realize they've played 10 games and then Two of the 10 games, they looked dominant. One of those games was against Western Carolina. So I just, at this point, you're 10 games into the season. How can you say anything otherwise? Is it crazy to think, Matt, that this Oklahoma, and I'm, I know I'm diverging off of this defensive conversation for a split second. It's crazy to think of what this team is, the product on the field, and saying that this is a good football team, it's not a great football team. But knowing that this is a team I that is say they're still a decent football team, this, I don't even think this, they're good. Man, this is a team that's on the verge of a ten-win season. Mm-hmm. That's but I, that's not an everyday occurrence. There are some Oklahoma fans who are just like, okay, I don't even care. I don't even care about another Big Twelve championship. That doesn't matter to me. I'm not that guy. I'm not that guy. But what I want is I want to see a team get better from year in to year out. I want them to be, they don't have to win the national championship, but just show me you're better from last year. And they're not. The last year's team would beat this year's team by multiple touchdowns. Yeah, I agree. You got a defensive MVP? Well, here's what I was going to tell you is for, for this team, I don't think the defense was as bad as a lot of the assessment would lead you to believe especially again, if we're looking at, at avenues such as Twitter, where people 
voice their their concerns. They they mm-hmm. voice their displeasures about basically anything these days, but specifically about their sporting teams as well. And I said this while watching the game was it appeared as though if anything could go wrong, we're familiar with Murphy's law. If anything could go wrong, <laughs> it, it did go wrong for Oklahoma. And that was very apparent, um, especially with the two miss to two missed field goals. I think it's a different game. I think it's a different approach has does, does Burkich make those again, it, it changes the outlook. It changes yeah. what you're doing offensively. I don't know that it changes the result of this game, but it, it certainly changes the look and feel towards the end of this contest. And if you're asking me who, who my MVP is, I, I'm going to agree with you. Brian Azamoa, but I have a problem with him being the MVP too, because of what we just talked about. It means that these running backs were getting through that defensive line, this defensive line that we we've said on numerous occasions has just swallowed up ball carriers time and time mm-hmm. again, Azamoa playing that linebacker position. Granted, he's doing his job. He's doing what's been asked of him. But when you see that the number of tackles balloon up to 14 for a guy like that, you know that it means the defensive line is just being worn out. So while I have to give it to him, there's also a negative quality in me giving giving that MVP in agreement with you. That's fair enough. Um, so where where does Oklahoma go from here? What what, what does this what does this mean moving forward? And for me, Rich, it means three things. It's a good one. Everything's gone. The college football playoff mm. is gone. The Heisman Trophy race is gone. The Lou Groza Award for Gabe Burke okay. is gone. Okay, you're, you're talking about on the national level. Yeah, and I'm just Because when you this. said everything is gone, I was thinking you meant there was nothing left to play for. And no, I'm no, like, no. What, that couldn't what, be further from yeah, the truth. Yeah. No, I, I just see I, every, everything that could possibly potentially be a distraction is off the table. It's gone. Yeah. You know, again, you're, you're not, you don't, the, the college football playoff rankings from this point forward, they don't mean anything to this team. Right. And what this idea that Caleb Williams can jump in the Heisman race, I bought into that. That doesn't mean anything. This <laughs> Oklahoma will not have a representative in New York city in December. Gabe Burkich isn't going to win the Grozo award. All these things that could be distractions, they're gone. Now, what is left in front of you is the opportunity to continue your unprecedented run of Big 12 champions. They are either going to be able to focus on this now with all these distractions removed or Rich, they're going to fall flat on their face. And we'll probably know the answer to that question around 1145 on Saturday morning as that first quarter is winding into the second quarter. And we'll see how this team comes out to play against Iowa State. And one of the things that you didn't mention was there's a lot of weight that comes with a zero in the loss column this late in the season. Absolutely. And while we like to see that there, the realities of an undefeated season are, are very few and far between these days. There are teams that are capable of doing that. It's not, it's not as odd to see an undefeated team in the college ranks as it would be in the NFL. Don't get me wrong, but I'm saying there is some weight that, yeah, yeah, there's weight that comes with that. There's attention that comes with that. There's the, the media cry that comes with that. And then when you finally lose, that's gone. Mm -hmm. That weight's no longer there. I feel like you can play a little more freely, which you should do that, that anyway, but I know easier said than done. So Matt, yeah, I, I, I'm looking at this team and I'm wondering where they go. And I'm saying they still have a lot to play for 
will the players buy into that ideology or will they not? And, and that'll be the deciding factor for sure. Like you said, we'll know around 1145, I think, on Saturday morning. Um, you go through the Big 12, Rich, and it is – I don't know how you are, but it is – Why I'm are like, you smiling? I'm just smiling already. <laughs> I mean, I just – Oklahoma <laughs> falls from the ranks of the undefeated. But the leading story with Big 12 football on any national media outlet is Kansas beats Texas in Austin – 57-56. So first time Kansas has ever lost. Uh, excuse me. First time Kansas has ever won in Austin, Texas. And just, I mean, if there was a way, if there was a way to feel better, it was this right here. Is it? I mean, like I, I, I would have, I would trade. I, don't get me wrong. I would trade Oklahoma beating Baylor. I would trade it if, 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 if Texas beat Kansas and I get Oklahoma to beat Baylor, I'm I'll accept that. I'll, I'll, I'll take that trade 100 times out of 100 times. But if Oklahoma loses to Baylor, I'm, I'm not going to not feel better by watching Kansas. It was great. It was quite, it was a fun game. My wife walked in and she was like, why are you even watching this? I was like, how, and the final score in overtime was 57, 56. How can you not have fun? That was a good game. I enjoyed it. Kudos to Kansas and um, no, you know, power rankings are coming out, but no spoiler alerts here, but uh, Kansas will not be in the basement uh, in my big 12 power rankings this week. Uh, uh, oh, oh. Okay, I don't know how to respond to that, but I will say this about Kansas, Matt. It's their their first conference road win since, you guessed it, 2008, the years that Kansas dreams of mm -hmm. these days. Needless to say, um, I not only was I shocked by the, the win in Austin over the Texas Longhorns, I was shocked that Kansas was capable of scoring that many points. Because I thought that was an impossible, not just an improbability, an impossibility for this Kansas team. And they're just not built like that. They're not mm -hmm. built to, to be a high-scoring offense that runs you out of the gym, so to speak. 57 points from the Jayhawks, even though well, it was overtime. Big look, shocker for me. This, this Texas team, they quit a week ago in Ames, Iowa. They quit. The only thing that made them competitive in this game was just so they wouldn't lose to Kansas. You don't, you don't want to, they, these guys know the stigma well, of the that. 2016 loss to Kansas. They don't want to be lumped into that. And at that. least the 2016 <laughs> team was in Lawrence. This is in Austin. That's the only reason that they were able to fight back and be competitive in this game. Now Texas sitting at four and six, they've got to go to Morgantown this coming weekend before concluding their season against Kansas state on the 26th, they've got to win both of those games, rich. They've got to win in Morgantown and they've got to beat Kansas state just to qualify for bowl eligibility. Hey, all I'm saying is if your goal was not to lose to Kansas and you've got bigger problems because but it's truth. I mean, it's absolute truth. And I think B. John Robinson's probably done. I've heard that he may have dislocated his elbow, but that I think like, think about Denny Stutzman and he was out for almost a month when mm -hmm. he had a very similar injury and it could be worse. I haven't heard an official report, but now they're, they're going to have to go through this final stretch of two games without B. John Robinson. I, it is bad. It's bad. It's like the, the worst. I don't think they've lost five games in a row since like 1956. Um, definitely regressing. And there's a lesson here for us. Uh, I'm all about drawing out the lessons. There's a lesson for Oklahoma fans. 
they had a Texas had a national winning coach who suddenly wasn't good enough for them anymore. National championship wasn't good enough anymore. And they showed him the door and look where you are. And if you're out online or whatever, and you're saying, we got to get rid of Lincoln Riley. Let's remember where Texas is right now. Let's remember where Kansas was in 2008. Let's remember where Texas tech was in 2008. All these schools that thought the grass was greener and look at where they are. So there's a lesson. There's a, there's a lesson to be taken from this, but Rich, you just, I'm still, <laughs> I gotta be honest with you, I am still bathing in the joy of watching that game and celebrating that two-point conversion. And kudos to Lance Leopold and what he did uh, to get that win in Austin, Texas. Um, Oklahoma State completely dominates uh, TCU 63 to 17. Here's a question for you, Rich. And that, this kind of gives me a little bit of heartburn to ask you this question, but Mike Gundy's got to be the Big 12 coach of the year, right? You think so? I, who? Who Who would it be? Man, I was really thinking it was Dave Aranda. And granted, this is a two-year award for him. It's not a singular year award. I get the case for Mike Gundy. I think it's a valid one. But when you look at a team that went two and seven, that all of a sudden is, is sitting at eight and two with mm -hmm. that kind of a turnaround, that name has to be in the conversation. And again, I get it's the two-year award. I would give it to Mike Gundy for sure because the he's he's exceeded expectations. Right. And there's been a lot of distractions there for sure here, especially recently. But it's hard for me to ignore the job that Dave Aranda has done at Baylor and the program, for whatever reason, can have a down year. And this was with Matt Rule as well. And then turn around and, and be in the Big 12 championship uh, conversation. I, I get what you're saying. And I do think it's between those two coaches. But when you look at the projection of Oklahoma State and they lost Chuba Hubbard, the, the offensive line was still going to be bad. And to where they are right now at nine and one, they're at the top 10 in the, in the college football top 25. Um, the, the, I just, and, and Mike Gundy beat Baylor. I mean, Mike Gundy has that head, head to head against Dave Aranda. That's why I'm saying it's got to be Mike Gundy. But at the end of the day, that was a really impressive win uh, over TCU in Stillwater. Kansas State loses, uh, excuse me, Kansas State beats West Virginia in Manhattan 34 to 17. Um, the Mountaineers have to win two in a row to, to get bowl eligible. The second, probably the second biggest shocker uh, in the Big 12 over the weekend was Texas Tech. After looking hapless against Oklahoma, they come out and they get a 41 to 38 win over Iowa State. Uh, Iowa State's very much on the outside looking in as far as the Big 12 championship. It's a three, it's a three horse race now between Oklahoma Baylor and Oklahoma State, thanks to this loss in Lubbock, Texas. Um, and Texas Tech suddenly rich six and four. Iowa State, six and four. What are the chances if I would have told you back in August that, yeah, you, two weeks left in a regular season, Iowa State and Texas Tech will be deadlocked in the Big 12 rankings at six and four with Texas Tech having the tiebreaker over the Cyclones. What are the chances you would have just punched me in the face zero. and said stupid? <laughs> well, not zero at that point, probably 101%. Because we looked at the tra trajectory of Texas Tech and we look at what's happened to them midseason with the the program letting go of Matt Wells yeah. I never would have thought that they would number one have a winning record this season mm -hmm. but two looking at Iowa State 
who very easily could have claimed that role once again as the giant slayer, even though they were highly ranked, highly rated inside the top 10 to begin the season. I felt as though they, they were the ones who had real potential to make a case, not only for the big 12 championship upset Oklahoma, but even creep into the, the college football playoff um, yeah. conversation. It just didn't pan out that way for them. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, well, that's going to wrap it up for this episode of the Sooner Nation podcast. You can catch us uh, online, heartland-sports.com. Find us on Twitter, at Sports Heartland. We'd love to hear back from you. We got You can leave comments uh, online on the website. You can hit us up on Twitter. If you agree or disagree with the uh, true or false questions or anything else, you, you're always welcome to participate in the conversation. I know it was a bad weekend, but I hope you have a great week instead uh, to replace that. Boomer Sooner, everybody. We'll be back later in the week to talk Sooners and Cyclones. <laughs>